Hello, and welcome to the Empowerography Podcast. This is a platform created for women's voices to be heard and a place to share their stories, journeys, and successes with the world for the purpose of helping other women who might be on similar journeys. We are empowering women one episode at a time. I'm your host, Brad Walsh, so kick back, grab one of your favorite beverages, and enjoy the stories. The world needs to hear your message and your story, so don't deny the world of that gift within you that the universe has given you. Someone out there needs to hear your story because it will support them in feeling hope, inspired, and even transformed. Do you want to discover how I help get my clients out of their own way, show up, and confidently share their message? I would love to extend an invitation to you to join me in my free masterclass, Start Your Own Podcast from Idea to Implementation, on Wednesday, April 5th at 1 p.m. Eastern. You can find the registry link in the show notes. Hope to see you there. Hello there, Brad Walsh here, your host of the Empowerography podcast. Today, my guest is Karen Anderson. She is the founding director of Foundation 96, an accredited exercise physiologist and a cancer exercise specialist. Karen, welcome. I am so happy to have you and I cannot wait to jump in and share all of the beautiful light you shine out into the world through the work you do and your story and your journey. Welcome. How are you doing today? Thanks for having me, Brad. I'm excited. Let's go. Excellent. I love hearing that. Well, with that being said, let's jump right in. So as mentioned, you wear all of these hats. You have a hell of a lot of letters behind your name, I noticed when I was looking at your resume. It's like alphabet soup when I look at your credentials. You have so much going on, running a foundation, working as a physiologist, supporting people living with cancer. I mean, running a foundation alone, I would imagine, is a hell of a lot of work in itself. And then you tie in everything else that you're doing. How on earth do you find the time for all of this? And how do you prioritize? And how important is prioritization and organization to you? Yeah, look, I'm super organized, but I also go with the flow. So it's about trying to work out what is the important things that need to get done today. I have a to-do list that you never want to see and it never ends. But you've got to get to a place in life where you have to start to say what is now and what is tomorrow. And then I've wrapped all of my life into one area now. So that's made things simple. So I'm not working for someone else or I'm not doing other things. I'm just doing Foundation 96. That makes it easier. Yeah, for sure. So I would love to hear with you wearing so many hats, what does your morning routine look like? I mean, you still running a foundation is still a big job. So what does your morning routine look like? All right. So I am that morning person. Sorry. Yeah. I bounce out of bed. That (laughs) sun's coming up. The wild dogs are calling and uh, I hit the mountain. We are blessed. We bought a mountain, 160 acres in the middle of nowhere when we came back to Australia. Yeah. So the border collie and I hit the mountain and I've learned over the years now. So there's no books, there's no music, there's just me and you listen and you have a chat to the cows, have a chat to the kangaroos, (laughs) you look at all the different things and you wonder what's looking at you. I get that feeling, Mm -hmm. that wild dog staring at me but letting me walk through. So it's just being part of it and then watching the different things, if it's raining or if the sunrise is amazing. I mean, that just puts that energy into you, I think. Yeah. Yeah. That's my morning. Love it. Yeah. What a way to start the day. It is because then you come back and you hit the emails and then you look at the diary (laughs) and you go, oh, the things that you just didn't think about while you're out for that hour and a half. And then you come back and you start reality. But yeah, it's there you go. Sinking right back into reality. That's it right there. (laughs) Karen, what drives, motivates and inspires you to keep going and excelling at all that you do? 
That is a huge question because I don't really know. It's something I ask myself often. So when I started down this pathway, I went, what's driving it? What is driving me? Why do I have such a huge passion to be able to get up every day and be excited to get in front of that computer and make things happen and make change happen? I don't know. I truly don't. And then I say to myself, well, where does it go? When do you think you finish or when do you stop this? But you just get on this role and I think the answer is when I don't have that light and that passion, when you get up and you go, I think I'm done with this now and it's time to move on. It's a really interesting thing because I actually haven't had cancer. So that's the really interesting part of the story because people go, well, why? Yeah, why are you doing this work that's so focused around cancer? Yeah, I mean, clearly I've had aunties and uncles and uh, people that have died and best friends and, and people around me. It's not hard to have someone in your life that's had cancer. I think we can safely say that every yeah. single person on this planet has been touched by cancer yeah. in one way or another, right? No, you got one in three people. You're going to know someone. Yeah. So I don't know the driving force, but I think sometimes I've got such a Buddhist philosophy that you just have to allow it to happen and see where it goes. It's a beautiful way to live. Now, as mentioned, you've got alphabet soup behind your name. That's a lot of education and training there. What inspired your journey to become an accredited exercise physiologist and how long have you been doing that work? Yeah, so I was the child, the one that didn't really find school an interesting place. 15s when you legally can go, so you go. I hit the road. You know where you run down that hallway and you open that door and that door and you try and work yeah. out, where are you meant to be? What is the job? Yeah. What do you do when you grow up? I was that one that always had to make it more <laughs> interesting. So I traveled a lot and I worked all the time. I was in all these different careers. And then I eventually got married and I ran my husband's engineering company. And then I had two boys and I'm like, oh, I'm still opening the doors down the hallway. <laughs> like, <laughs> I wasn't planning on being a mother. I'm still a child. I don't even know what I want to do. But they arrived as that precious gift on the doorstep without too much planning. And I had to go, all right, well, now I'm going to be a mother. But there's still something I'm on this earth for. So I kept that going, which must have driven everybody crazy. And then I noticed that I lived in the gym. So at 16, I was in the gym every single day, pumping weights, making sure that I was healthy. At 16. Yeah, it was just this calling again. Mm -hmm. And there were no change rooms for girls. You literally had to just go to a change room with boys. It wasn't even (laughs) set up for chicks. It was just a grunting sweat machine. (laughs) So things have changed. And yes. I got to around 30 and I'm thinking to myself, if I live at the gym, why don't I become a personal trainer? And from there, my husband has to throw the carrot because he knows this child inside out and went, no, you need to get to uni and you need to do a degree and you need to do this properly. Whoa, set that challenge. So (laughs) there I am, 30 years old. I haven't finished school. So I have to go back and do year 11, do year 12, get entry into university. I mean, I got young kids. I got little babies. I'm running my husband's career. He's still traveling overseas where I'm now pulled in so they can get to primary school. They're five. They're little kids. And then I was on that roller coaster. I now reflect back and go, holy crap, how did I do that? And university was something you attended in those days. Not like now you just go on the computer. You have to be there all day, every day. So fast forward that. And then I became it by 2000. I went, all right, I'm going to open up a chronic disease studio for people 
So people that are really sick, I'm going to exercise them. And they're going, you can't do that. That's 2000. I can do whatever I want. <laughs> so Parkinson's, MS, diabetes, osteoporosis, arthritis, bring it on, bring it in. We're going yeah. to train you up. And what I learned, and I built a really successful business, but what pushed my button was where is the cancer? I've got every mm. chronic disease and I've nailed them all, but where's the cancer people? So that became my challenge from there. That was back in 2002. I went, right, wow. let's change the world. I love it. This leads right into you specifically focusing on supporting people who are living with cancer as an exercise physiologist. You decided that was going to be your goal back in 2000. But why? Why specifically people with cancer? Was there anything specific? As I know we both said that you can't go through this life without being touched by cancer. But was there something specific that said to you, Karen, you've got to work with people with cancer, people who are living with cancer? Yeah, it did. Because I went, put my science hat on and I went, right, mm -hmm. you've got these people in bed. All right. right, we've got people with leukemia that might spend three months sitting in a hospital room. Okay, she's got cancer, she's in bed. All right, I've got triathletes that are now in bed. None of it worked for me. I went, you put a man on the moon and he will end up muscle wasting. All right, mm -hmm. so you're going to put this person in bed. They're not sick, they just have cancer. Get a grip on this. I mean, why should my Parkinson's person be walking around the streets with all of their side effects and you got this person in bed? It doesn't make sense to me. So I ran around to the oncologist and said, why? And mm -hmm. I couldn't get the answers that I was looking for. So I said, right, we're going to get them out of bed and we're going to exercise them. I don't know how to do it, but let's just work through this. So we went through a cellular thing. What happens when you heat up the body? What happens when we start to play with chemotherapy and radiation and targeted therapy? Let's work through that on a scientific level and let's see what could happen. And then pray to God someone starts researching it. So we did. We went through multiple and multiple years and years, right, 2014. The research is in. Everyone's approved everything that I thought I was doing is <laughs> actually working, thank God. <laughs> and it was empowering to be able to, what you truly believed in your heart could happen and go against all of the negativity where oncologists said, no, you will kill them, you'll speed up the cancer, you'll metastasize the cancer. And I'm like, no, I'm going to stand my ground on this because I want a happy cancer patient mentally, physically, nutritionally, not someone that you're just putting in a room and shutting the door. I love that. A dog with a bone. You just yeah. weren't letting it go. There's no way. The tenacity <laughs> it could, it, is It could have incredible. ended really badly. <laughs> <laughs> but, but it went exactly the opposite way. It as did. We'll, I, as we'll talk about. Yeah, it did. And yeah, I'm super excited. So yeah, how can you let this go once you've started this ball? Yeah. I've read that the impact of exercise on cancer rehabilitation and survivorship is a growing area of interest. Can you share any ongoing research or initiatives that you're involved in to further expand the understanding and integration of exercise in cancer care? Yeah, so now this is my topic. So Here you're we go. Slow me. Yeah, just it. slow me down on this one and hold me down. So where did I go with that? And that's an interesting you rolled this question into to right after what I'd just been saying. Because where am I now with it is the fact that what happens and why are people finishing their cancer treatment and then going home? Hey, cancer, ring the bell, all done, multidisciplinary team leaves you and you're going to jump now straight into what? Well, we just shut you down. We've pulled all these medications into you. We've literally changed your life and then put you in house and what happens? You have no idea. What, are these side effects real? Can they be treated? Can they not be treated? 
where do I go? Because all of your oncologist, surgeon, chemo person, your radiotherapist, they've all gone. Yeah, you're just sent home to be you're to just your own devices, home. right? You're We're done with you. We're done with you. We've cured yeah. it. You're one. The cancer's yeah. under control. Fantastic. And you literally, these people get into their door and go, oh, wow, what just happened to me? Can I get back to work? Do I still have a husband? Where's my wife? What I gotta look after kids? I can't do any of this. I can't. I'm physically destroyed, mentally struggling and trying yeah. to work out how to do tomorrow. So why aren't we doing that right? So why is this gap there? So mm-hmm. I went, all right, well, let's put a service together, Foundation A6, to be able to go into the treatment centers and stop that gap. Hi, you've been diagnosed with cancer. This is how we're going to treat you. This is how we look after your side effects. And then this little person will go home with you. And whenever you need them, they're there. Simple. Wow. That's powerful. And it's like you said, it fills that gap, which has long been missing. It's a solution. A fantastic solution. It's my idea. It's a great idea. (laughs) Of course (laughs) it is. It's your idea. It's my idea. It's a fantastic (laughs) idea. But... I didn't realize that when you knock on the door of a cancer clinic, they don't want that solution. Or you go to the hospital, they don't want that solution. No one wants this solution because it's such a good idea. No one wants it. So why? You know, unpack that. Why do you not want a solution for your clients? So then it becomes political and then it's processes and then it's money and then it's insurance. I'm going to write a book on that one day. There is a laundry list of what has happened to shut that door in my face. But this is people's fucking lives. Yeah. And I have the solutions. That's scary as shit. You know, that really is. When you really sit with that for a minute and think about that, that you're being told, no, we're not doing this. And the reasoning behind it Mm. is fucking mind blowing. Yeah. It's a big story. It's a huge, big story and probably not one we should unpack today, but we will <laughs> no, do another day because this will take a long time for what I, I mean. Remember, I've been dragging this since 2014. That hallway, I'm back in it, running down there, opening all the doors. <laughs> opening the doors. I open the doors. <laughs> what the hell? Why is no one listening to me? I'm here. You go to your GP or your primary care physician and you've got five minutes. All right. Tell yeah. me what's going on. Well, they can't do that in five minutes. No, I mean, what are you going to do? Open up the door and say to your doctor, hey, my sex life has just been ruined because I've put all these drugs into me and now my vagina doesn't work. I mean, how are you going to do that to your GP? You can't. So who helps you? I will keep banging and I it is my mission, clearly. Yes, <laughs> so yes. I have no stop doubt. that question now because I will just <laughs> okay. keep going. We'll stop right there. <laughs> yeah. Now, of course, a lot of cancer patients often experience, which you just mentioned, physical limitations and side effects, of course, from the medications and the treatment. How do you tailor exercise programs to address these unique challenges and help patients regain their strength, manage fatigue, and improve their overall quality of life. Wow. Yeah. It's an honor, first of all, okay, Mm -hmm. for someone to trust you because you aren't feeling too crush hot and it's trust. So those two things put together, you need every single piece of history that you can get from that person physically, emotionally. What have they been through? So a person that's been through tragedies in their life with big traumas, the big ticket traumas, Uh when they get to cancer, they go, oh, it's just cancer. But someone that's had that sweet, cruisy life and gets cancer is like, oh, my God, how do I do this? So that's where we start. And then we look at the physical. What was your exercise background? What other chronic conditions do you have? What injuries have you had? So you build this big story and eventually you get to where are you now? 
Okay, what treatment have you had? What have we done? What do we need to be concerned about? Where is the cancer? Is it metastasized, etc.? And then we do a process of testing, physical, functional testings. Okay. And then we have to start there. So unfortunately, if you were an Olympic athlete or you were mm-hmm. an Ironman, I got to bring you down. Okay, because you're genetically and emotionally wanting to be that person again. So I've got Mm -hmm. to curb you. But if you're a truck driver that hasn't done any physical activity and you're 70 years old, I've got to find something that's going to get you to understand exercise is important. So it's a really huge topic and I enjoy it and I love that. And it definitely makes me think. It's got to be challenging as shit. (laughs) Yeah, i got to work out with you what's going to rock your boat, what's going to light your life, what is going to be that thing that will make you want to do it. It is. But cancer (laughs) people, it is, but cancer people have this, they're the best clients to work with (laughs) out of all the chronic diseases, I have to say. Really? Because they have this second chance. They've literally being taken out of life Mm -hmm. and put back and don't know what tomorrow is going to be any more than you and I do. But they have this fear that stays with them about what happens if it reoccurs? Mm -hmm. What happens? What happens? What happens? All right. So they want to be fit. They want to exercise. And that's the important piece, right? They have to want to do the work. You can't make them. They want to do it. They don't want to get sick again. They don't want chemo again. They don't want to go to that place. So they mm-hmm. will do it at all costs, majority, not all. Obviously, yeah. we're all unique, mm-hmm. but majority yeah. do. Okay. So that makes them a really nice client because you take that piece <laughs> of want out. They have a desire. But more yeah. importantly, they will be fit for whatever will come next. And that's be- a beautiful gift you're giving them. It is. It is. It truly is. As a cancer exercise specialist, you have a unique blend of expertise in both oncology and fitness. So how do you stay updated with the latest research and advancements in these fields to enhance your practice and deliver evidence-based exercise programs for your clients? All right. So when you watch YouTube and uh, and Netflix, <laughs> I read research papers. <laughs> yeah. I'm a, I'm a sponge because... I came before the time of research absolutely absorbs me. So I'm what's happening with cardiac toxicity? How are we doing high intensity training now? How do we get, you know, chemotherapy to absorb better? Yeah, that's my life and I thoroughly enjoy that. I listen to people, I listen to my clients, I put the research together when I listen to my clients, I listen to my peers, I listen to social media, I go to conferences, whatever it is that I can make myself understand where we are now. You know, now we've got immunotherapies. It's a whole new game. So how is that going to happen? What's that going to do to your heart? And what level of aerobic activity do we need to reduce that? So that lights me up, exactly. So it's not hard. <laughs> yeah, you've got a lot of resources to pull from, that's for yeah. sure. Living in the world of the internet, back in the yeah. days before I had internet, yeah, I am that old. Yeah, we went to the library. We didn't have these yeah. tools. And the gift of today, you just type it in and bam, there's the answer. <laughs> so, yeah. And now I'm on chat, which is even better. So now AI chat, yeah. you can find anything out. Excellent. Yeah, that's it. It's definitely helped you along the way for sure. Now, obviously, as an exercise specialist, nutrition is going to be very closely tied into your work because, as we know, the synergy between exercise and nutrition is equally important. So how do you guide 
patients in adopting a holistic approach that optimizes their nutrition and exercise routines for maximum benefit. That's easy. I have 1,200 health and wellness professionals with Foundation 96 that specialize in physical, nutritional, or emotional problems. So outside of my scope of practice, Mm-hmm. and them on. If I can't do it, someone else can. And I might be able to do it, but I mightn't be the best person to do it. I know all the best people. So that's exactly what you do is it's about the person. There is no one, or oh, I've made that happen, I suppose, too, in my philosophy, is it's not competitive. It's not, that's my patient and that's what I'm doing and I can do everything. No, I've involved a whole lot of people that are doing absolutely amazing things. Use them. Don't yeah. think you can do it. Hand them on. You stay in your zone of genius and leave the rest to those other geniuses. Yeah. I know what they do. I've studied all what they do. I know exactly how everyone does everything. Otherwise, I wouldn't be able to refer. So I know what acupuncture is going to do. I mean, I can't put needles in you, but I know what results going to be. So I know what a dietitian does and, and what a physical therapist does. So give the service and give that person the best chance. Or they might not like you. Your personality Not everybody will like me. I understand that. There might be someone out there. But you have to roll with that. You know, I had a lady, and this is my one and only client in in this last 50 years, that said to me, you don't understand my son has got cancer and he's sick and would you stop treating him like he's normal? I can't be here when you do not address his cancer. Wow. Yeah. And I was like, wow, let's go with that. So don't do that to me because you know what's going to come up. (laughs) But I said to her, this is his hour. He's a 15-year-old kid and this is his hour to have an hour off cancer. Leave him. Leave him. Let him do this. Let him be a 15-year-old child. He doesn't need to hear he's sick. He doesn't need to hear about medications or treatments or don't do this or don't do that. He's sick of hearing that. All right? Let him be what he wants to be for this hour. And if you can't deal with that, then you need to go and have a coffee and come back in an hour. There you go. Never Sit outside. Saw, never saw her again. <laughs> and how long did her child continue to come? He was never brought back. Oh, he. Oh. Yeah, she totally hated me. Wow. Yeah, she was thought I was the worst thing in the world. He has to deal with enough as a 15-year-old kid yeah. and hearing about cancer, but give him an hour break away from it. I'm give with his you. mind a rest. Yeah. That's insane. But what's going on in her head? True. All right, mm-hmm. so walk a day in someone's shoes there. Yeah. Like she's terrified and she's got Mm -hmm. fear and I'm not responding like she thinks I should. She can't see the best for her child. She just has this huge issue she's not dealing with. She's facing a huge burden. Her 15-year-old son has cancer. It's a lot to deal with. So you're right. You can't really speak to it unless you've walked a mile in her shoes. So Yeah, and I couldn't change. Like that well, was this my, is the way you do things. This is me. I'm sorry. I'm not going to be putting the sympathy train out for your son because I want him to run and jump and be yeah. who he should be. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> In your experience, what are the most common barriers that cancer patients face when trying to incorporate exercise into the routine and how do you help them overcome these obstacles? Mm. Wow. So you got all the ones that people with humans have to start with. So you're going to deal with that, like, I don't want to do it and I uh, haven't got time. So we've got time, money, location, motivation, history. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're all the same. The only difference is they're busy with appointments. They don't feel well. 
they might have immunocompromised, which means they can't come to a centre, or they just can't get into the headspace of exercise. So you'd literally just sit down and do what you do with everyone else and try and find something, just one little thing that day that you could do. Maybe we'll just go for a walk. Maybe we'll just yeah. do this. Maybe we'll just do some stretches. But you've got to try and get to their level on where they are. It's not what you want. It's not what the perfect exercise prescription looks like. But that doesn't matter because you've got to meet someone at their lowest common denominator so the job's not too big. Love that. That's a great way of handling it and dealing with it. It's the only way, really. you got to meet them where they're at. Yeah. The mental and emotional impact of a cancer diagnosis obviously is incredibly overwhelming. So how do you incorporate psychological support and motivation into your exercise programs to help patients build resilience and maintain a positive mindset during the treatment journey? Yeah, and that's probably where we've already touched on a couple mm -hmm. of times is you've got to find where are they I mean, some people are, are worry about things that you can't even imagine. Other people have no concern about that issue whatsoever. So I'll paint a small picture. So I get a 30-year-old woman, three months pregnant, finds out she's got breast cancer, has to go through the pregnancy with treatment and have a baby grow inside her, have the baby delivered, have her breasts removed, can't feed the baby, all right, try and be a new mother, husband's spinning out, Big picture, okay? And I'm like, all right, wonder what she's worrying about most. So that's my job. I've got to work this out. What's the part in her today that she's not dealing with? Because there's a lot I would yeah, that is be struggling with, okay? Yeah. And she said, it's my friends. Hang on a minute. Let's just rewind that. What do you mean your friends? And she said, well, I got four close girlfriends that I went to school with and we met up once a lunch and we have lunch. And no one talks to me about my cancer. I'm like, oh, that's your biggest problem today? Yeah, it's eating me up. I'm like, okay, let's go through that. So you look at the other side of the story. They are scared to death. They don't yeah. know what to ask you. They don't know what to say. So just get one girl by herself and give her permission to ask you any question, whatever it might be. Give them the space to talk to you because they don't know what to do. Because I guarantee they're talking about you. Yeah. I guarantee they're worried about you. I guarantee that they don't even have the capacity to start the conversation. So let's not start the conversation because then we don't have to get into the troublesome zone. Because right. we don't get a handbook on how to talk to people that have had cancer. Everybody blows it. <laughs> Everybody. Okay. Mum does it wrong. Auntie does it wrong. Grandma does it wrong. Brother, sister, yeah. everyone does it wrong. So you as a cancer patient have to tell people what you want and mm -hmm. give them permission to do that. And then also tell them what drives you crazy so they don't cross that line. And then yes. when you've had those conversations, everyone can have that freedom of space. It's complicated. That is. I mean, it's very similar to the whole grief thing too, right? Is we're not taught how to deal with grief. We're not taught how to speak to someone who's going through grief. And people say stupid shit because they don't know what to say. It's a very tough road to navigate. And that poor woman, all of those things she's mm. dealing with. And yeah, you're right. Her friends, of course, they're want, they're worried about her. They're thinking about her. Mm. But what do you say? Because you don't want to overstep. You don't want to say the wrong thing. You don't want mm. feelings to get hurt. So yeah, that is a great way of dealing with it. And I guess that could also be applied to grief as well. Tell the yeah. people. Absolutely. What is this thing about fear of death? I do not understand it. Okay, you're born into this world and you are eventually going to leave. You might leave in one week. You might leave in one month. You might leave in one year. You might leave in a hundred years, but you're going to go. 
all right? And everyone around you should be part of that story. I got a 96-year-old grandmother that had absolutely nothing wrong with her whatsoever. And then she said, Karen, I'm done. I'm over the breakfast, lunch and dinner, getting up in the morning. I've done everything I want to do. All my friends are dead. I want to die. And I said, well, nanny, you can't. You're 96. She said, I can do whatever I want. I'm just going to stop eating and I'll die. And I'm like, high five, go for it. If that's your job, go there. I mean, what a way to go. Two weeks later, she died. All right. So the whole whole family unit is devastated. And I'm like, no, give us some applaud. She knew what she wanted and let her go. Mm -hmm. No one has the right to keep someone on this earth. If they want to go, let them go. All right. If they want help, they will ask for help. You can't play God. You've got to be completely open to every situation when it comes to death. But have the conversations. What do you want to do when you die? How do you want to die? How should we plan for it? Do you have yeah. any funerals are planned in my cancer world? Oh, I'm sure. All right. I can't imagine. I have planned how to plant trees, how to build quilts, how to get photos done because the person that knows they're going to die gets organized. So why can't you as a family and friend help them get organized to die? Why is it too hard to let go? That's why they don't want to. So have the conversations. You're right. And let them go in peace. But more importantly, deal with it yourself. Yeah. Because it's the people that are left that don't know what to do. They have the hardest time. Yeah, absolutely. This is not a car accident. This is not go to work, don't come home. This is knowing it's going to come. Yeah. In certain cancers, in certain diagnoses. For sure. Plan it. Make it a pleasurable occasion. Make it an occasion that can be celebrated of life because you can't change this outcome. We get so caught up in this, and my wife has said this multiple times to me, is that we need to shift the way that we look at and deal with grief. Why are we going to the cemetery and crying and commiserate? Why aren't we celebrating? Don't celebrate or don't go to the cemetery and cry the day they died. How about you go to the cemetery and celebrate that day? celebrate them. Yes, of course. Not saying don't cry and don't be sad. Of course, that person, whoever it was a part of your life, absolutely. It's okay to cry, but why aren't we celebrating them and remembering them instead of constantly commiserating and being miserable about it? They wouldn't want you to be that way. No, it's a, it's an education. So when my dad died at 84, I had to come back from America to go to the funeral. I got off the plane, the funeral's the next day. And my family said, right, you need to do the eulogy. What? (laughs) No one else wants to do it. You do it. Okay. All right. Let's just go through that process in life, shall we? First eulogy has to be my dad. Cool. Let's go there. Mm. But I was that. Let's celebrate my dad. He had an amazing life and Mm. be happy that he's in a place where he needed to go. He had dementia. Things weren't well. He wasn't happy. He wasn't living a quality of life. He was sick and he needed to go. And he knew that. So be grateful. Share the stories. Share the love that yes. we had. Okay? And maybe do a little bit of that when people are alive. It there might make go. it a little That's bit the easier. So, because then you see all these people that come in and cry the crocodile yeah. tears. And yeah. Where the fuck were you earlier, years ago? You yeah. didn't bother. Now yeah. you're upset and missing. Come on. It doesn't work because we're not educated. But then in saying that, when my 50-year-old best friend died... I literally couldn't sit through the whole thing. I was like the fetal position on the floor, funeral girl. Mm-hmm. Like that was the most tragic thing because that's 50. You don't die at 50. No. No, that's not allowed. <laughs> yeah, so exactly. 
you, you've got to try and get it in perspective. A two-year-old sure. child is not allowed to die. No. A one-year-old child is not allowed to have leukemia. See all no. the problems that we deal with and you go, well, how do you put that in perspective? I don't know. Right. But we need to learn. We do. Like you said, it goes back to education. And we need to start educating people on cancer awareness, on preparation, on grief, all of these things. We all need the education because we all are going to be touched by grief at some point in our lives too, whether yeah. it's now or 10 years from now, you're going to be affected by it in one way or another. You're going to lose someone in your life. You can't avoid it. It's going to happen. Yeah. So we need to educate. We need to talk about it. Yeah, maybe that's something they should put in the school system. Yes, I know. Yeah, yeah. oh, that's a whole other podcast. Yeah. <laughs> the school system. Yeah, let's not go there. Yeah, I, I didn't. <laughs> Back to our conversation now. Yeah. You also do some work that's specifically focused on people who are living with breast cancers. Can you talk a little bit about that work that you're doing specifically with the breast cancer survivors and patients? Yeah, so. Breast cancer, I mean, you've met breast cancer women. They are forces to be reckoned with. They are strong, mm -hmm. powerful women. And their conversations now. So when I first started, you found out you had breast cancer, you got diagnosed, you did your treatment, and then life went on. But not now. Now, these women are a whole different set of rules. Okay, so scanning's happening better. Diagnostics is happening earlier. People are more aware of it. But now we've got big stories that are coming on, and that's just where I support people. Are you going to have breast implants? You weren't asked that question years ago. You had breast implants, okay? You woke up, you had boobs. Mm -hmm. All right, no, I don't want breast implants. I want to be flat. Yeah. Well, these are your choices now, but you need to know this. So it's about the education. Did you know every 10 years that these breast implants are going to be taken out and new ones are going to go back in? Do you Every want more surgery? Years? So you've got all wow. these things. They're big stories. So I had an oncologist, and I think this is where it winds me, and it was a surgeon. And my patient and I had these conversations. I'm going to be flat, I'm going to be proud, and I'm going to be beautiful, okay? Mm -hmm. So I want you to remove everything, and I want a beautiful little scar, and I'm going to move on with life. He didn't. He left the flap. And she woke up and she was devastated. And she said, you didn't do what I asked. He said, you'll thank me one day because no man's going to find you attractive without having breasts. Who the hell says what? Yeah. yeah. These things happen. They will say to you, well, you need to have breasts because that's what women have. First of all, you don't have the autonomy to make a decision like that. Second of all, you're not. God, who in the fuck do you think yeah. you are? And, and I literally have to not go to these people's places or give them a call because I think I'd slap them in the face. I don't know how to deal with that. Who gives you the right? She signed a piece of paper that said, I do not want breast implants. So big education. But luckily, women love you all, that you have this power that you can go through and help other women and give them this information. I now have people, they change oncologists, they change surgeons, they take control of their condition and they learn about it and they choose what radiation they want. They choose whether they want. They must be driving the system crazy yeah. because it used to be, okay, number 507, this is what's going to happen to you. No, 507's gone rogue and she's going everywhere trying to find out exactly what needs to happen and then picks the best person for the job. And she might have chemo here, radiation here. She, she chooses it. That's it's her choice. It's her choice. It's mm -hmm. her choice. We have all the information out there. All we need to do is just give it to people. 
and let them go with it. So that's my passion with breast cancer. I was reading that female breast cancer has now surpassed lung cancer as the most commonly diagnosed cancer. An estimated 2.2 million new cases of breast cancer were diagnosed in women across the world in 2020. Those numbers are horrifying and staggering. So what are a couple of tips you could provide in order to help with early detection and risk reduction? Know your body. Really understand your body. Know your breasts, know everything, no pain. You need to understand if it's different and you don't feel right, get a second opinion, get a third opinion, get a fourth opinion drive everyone crazy because you know something's not right. We're not stupid. We're, we're humans that are intelligent. And I've had it. If you are young, fight the system and get testings because you're not eligible for certain testings because you're too young. You're 21, you can't have breast cancer. Okay, yes, you can. Mm-hmm. Fight for it, all right? Don't give up. So that is my thing. Make sure you have blood tests once a year. Make sure you get your mammograms and you need it, your smear tests, and look after yourself in that. And if something doesn't feel right, ridiculous fatigue or pain or lumps or something's different, get it checked. Don't sit and worry about it. Check it because stage one is so much more fun than stage four. Right. All right, you can get so much more treatment and there's so much more you can do. Don't yeah. sit and worry about it. So yeah, face it front on and yeah. do something. Yeah. Thank you for that. Now I'm going to go out on a limb here and assume that obviously the numbers pale in comparison for men living with breast cancer. But I'm curious as to how often you see or hear of cases where men are living with breast cancer. Yeah, 1%. It's a small number. 1%. Yeah, it is worldwide. It is so difficult. And I really hope we change the system, okay? So these are men that are living in a female world, literally, you know, yeah. in, into the pink room so you can get your pink gown on, so you can get your pink mammogram if you get diagnosed correctly. I've got a, a guy in South Africa that was told it's not breast cancer because men don't get breast cancer. I mean, we've got a big story here. Men don't check for breast cancer. Doctors don't check men for breast cancer. So if there is nipple leakage or a lump, you've sort of got to go there and you've got to find it out. And then they don't want to tell anyone. It's not you know, prostate cancer. That's okay. I've got prostate cancer, but breast mm-hmm. cancer. So the interesting thing I've come across is that women manage breast cancer foundations for men. Really? Yeah. I'm like, okay, that's interesting. Mm. Yeah, I feel for them. I would love to have the capacity and the power to change that. But because the numbers are so small, it's really hard to get that voice out there. But I will. Well, as you said, men don't want to talk about it. It's it's shameful. And I'm a man. How can I have breast cancer, right? It's all that bravado and machoism and all of that stuff and not wanting to embrace the emotional side of themselves. Oh, and they've got still, to put on this tough exterior. Yeah. And so if you go to a prostate cancer foundation, I did a seminar there and he said to me, I don't want to hear support or help come out of your mouth. They're not the two what? words that we want to hear in this foundation. Really difficult to do a presentation <laughs> without those two words. But, yes. Hey, give me the challenge. I'll give it a go. To do that, but you don't have that capacity for the breast cancer guys. So mm. the thing that we've got to be careful of and everyone's got to start to watch, though, is now we've got agendas changing. So with gender changing, we're getting changes in breast cancer. So just because you've had different parts of gender reassignment, you've got pumping through of estrogen hormones, and now we've got a whole different collection of people coming through. Yeah. So take the pink out of the room, make it neutral, and treat it as breast cancer and not female breast cancer and maybe we have a better world interesting take i mean i would think that they probably wouldn't want it because the percentage is so low 
for men that have it, they probably don't want to make those changes. Or don't think, think about it. Yeah, or don't think about it. Yeah, that's probably the bigger piece of it. I mean, when you're a guy sitting in a pink room and a lady next to you says, I don't think men are allowed in here. This is time for your wife. It's not time for you to be here. Or, mm-hmm. oh, you've got your treatment at 2 o'clock. Can you come around the back door? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, get a grip on no. what's happening out there. So, yeah, yeah, they are not thinking about it. That's all. I want to talk about Foundation 96 now. Can you give us an overview of what Foundation 96 is all about and when it was founded? 2014. That's the easy question. (laughs) Uh, I wanted to find all of the people that were doing what I was doing. I wanted to find the nutritionist, the dietitian, the psychologist. I want to find all the people that can help. And then when my people move, I know that I can refer them on to someone else. So I started that and I didn't realize it was going to be that hard. It was not an easy thing to do. So I'm like, if I'm finding this hard, well, then how are the cancer patients doing it? No wonder no one's got any help because I can't even find it. So I continued that then, you know, give me a challenge. God help us. Karen's on a roll again. <laughs> and let's try and find these people. And so I did. I just sent it as my mission. So I put them on my Excel spreadsheets and off I went in my daily life. And then I got to, I moved to America and then I'm like, oh, well, the Americans aren't doing anything either. Okay, well, let's put that on my spreadsheet and I can have Australian American. And then the Brits got involved and then Europe got involved and Canada got involved. And, oh, wow, 19 countries. I better build a website. How do you do that? (laughs) Google that. Let's build a website. That's fun. And so I decided I'd have a directory, a support directory for people that were living with cancer and they could then use that. So can't see that hard. We'll plug that into the institution and then they've got a service, haven't they? Yeah, no. Uh (laughs) So then, I mean, we could open the door. I'm running a small business. I mean, okay. I'm an exercise physiologist. I'm trained science in how to exercise people. All right. I don't know how to build a website. I don't know how to run a business. I don't know how to promote. I don't know how to advertise. Like there is a massive amount of job. It's a huge job. Okay. And you've got to put your big girl pants on. You've got to go, well, I'll work that out. I can do that. I can do that. And then there's days where you can't and you don't. I mean, how do you code a computer? I don't know. This is just stuff. It's way above my pay grade. But you've got to learn this stuff. (laughs) Really have to learn it. So eventually I found a lady in America, thank God, who could help me build a website. And I then was working for someone else, first experience in my life to work for someone else, which was great. And you get a paycheck every week, (laughs) every week, money goes into your account and you don't have to do anything. You could literally do nothing. And that check arrives. I'm like, this is how people live. I've spent my whole life running my own businesses. And how do you get that dollar into the bank every single day is your priority? And then all of a sudden it just gets in there and you're like, wow. So Incredible. that was foundation I see. I do. So I continued to build it. It was on the side of me because I was building what I was doing overseas. And then I started to take it more seriously and think, why is no one using the website? Why is it only, you know, 500 people a, a, a week? Why is it 10 million? Like, I, why? I want these numbers yeah. on this website. So I went, maybe I should write a business plan and maybe I should take it seriously. So that's when I went, all right, what's the missing piece? It was the human component. No one trusted it. No one knew what it was. You can't expect someone to go on a website and think they're going to use it and think that it's right because we've got so much yeah. going on out there that they can't do that. And I remember this old guy back when I was 2000 starting my first business and I always come back to him when something doesn't work. And I was advertising and I was putting on the radio and I was sending out my flyers. I was door knocking. I did everything. And he said, girl, you can't do that. 
all right? You've got to earn this. You've got to earn this time in the trenches because the thing is people have to respect you and they've got to trust you. Okay, how much money you think you can spend on advertising? It won't happen. So I went, okay, I hear you again. You're back in my voices, in my head. So what do I do? I know I'll build a health consulting service so you can contact me, make a booking online, go on to Foundation 96, and then I will direct you who you need to direct to in the in there. So it's like a dating agency. You come in and I sort you out the right person. Match you with the right person. Match you with the right person. That's easy, isn't it? No, yeah. that's not easy. No, because they've still got to find you. Uh-huh. So that's when I went back to the story we talked about earlier. Well, let's hit all of the treatment centres because I've got all the answers now, haven't I? I've not mm-hmm. just got a directory for you guys. I've also got humans involved in it. You've well, been no. in the trenches. Guess what? Those problems are still there. The ones you had before are still there. Yeah. So that's not going to work, is it? So that's Foundation 96. It is a service directory. It's got health consultants that help you and listen to you and direct you and guide you to where you need to go, set goals, whatever you need. And then the last part of it is oncology training. And I set that up because all of the people that have been doing 20 years like me, 30 years of amazing things in helping people with cancer, all of the health professionals, I now have got them encouraging them to write training courses to sell those to other health professionals so they can upskill and become better at what they do. So that sounded easy, didn't it? But it's not. (laughs) So you can learn about LMS systems. How do you implement it? What payment systems? Every country has different currencies. Everyone has different insurance. Don't even start me. So we're back into that. Wow, that was a good idea, Karen, wasn't it? I need an army of people to do what I need to get done. But you don't. You just have to do it. Yeah, so that's Foundation 96. And so how did you come up with a name for it? Oh, I interviewed 100 clients mm-hmm. and said I need a name and they came up with New Normal. And I just didn't sit with me. New Normal, I know you guys love it and I know you're the experts because you're the person that gets <laughs> But I couldn't. So anyway, time went on. I didn't have a name. And then my husband said, what about the godfather of medicine? You know, the carcinomas and the crabs, hypocrisy. Why not just get the crab to turn around? And then you get 69. And I'm like, imagine Googling 69. (laughs) No, that's not going to work. All right, let's flip it to 96. All right. So the godfather of medicine that really said cancer is something that spreads. So we'll flip it and we'll call it turning cancer around with 96. But we need something in front of it because that's just like our foundation now, as in put it on your face foundation, (laughs) which is where foundation came from. So I want a strong name. I want a name that sits with the 96 that could be non-profit or profit that doesn't really have any issues with language or it's just a nothing name that's just powerful. Okay, so that's yeah. probably the best thing for it. But you have to be able to spell it because my first business was body maintenance and everybody asked me how to spell maintenance. And our second business was maintenance management solutions, which had that maintenance word in it again. God help us. I wanted a word you could spell. So there we are. And it's an international word. That... A word you could spell. <laughs> Do you know what happens when you change countries though? People can't spell. Okay. And I knew that from, we're fine. Canadians, Australians, we yep. got the same, and UK, yep. we talk the same language, we spell the same mm-hmm. words. Now go yes. to America. Every word is spelt different. Yeah. <laughs> they drop letters, they add letters, they it's do. all different. Yeah. <laughs> so that's where it came from. And it was a, I think, just a symbol that I enjoyed. It resonated with me. It's powerful. 
Yeah, I like it. So what are the long-term goals for Foundation 96? <sighs> All right. <laughs> <laughs> Keeping it brief. Yeah. <laughs> I want to get into those silos. I want to break them down. I mean, I want to be able to get into every treatment center around this world because the whole world is exactly the same. I've been everywhere. I've been blessed that I could travel wherever I want to go and I've seen it. doesn't matter what country I'm in, it's exactly the same problem. How do we break it in there? How do we get it in there? So I've got an opportunity at the moment which I'm waiting on, which will be 50 treatment centres. I'm just waiting to sign that document. Literally going to run around that front yard naked when that happens. Okay? (laughs) Because that to me is going to be like the open that door and I'm going. So I'm just going to keep it. I'm going to keep rolling. I'm not inventing or designing anymore for the foundation. There is enough in there. Now my energies are going to be networking to find. There is someone or something or somehow and I will find it. I have that. no doubt you will. I will <laughs> You're get a in that the door. Bone. I, know you <laughs> yeah. I have no I will doubt. get in that door and it will become that part of treatment that we're missing right now. That's a beautiful mission. And I, like I said, I have no doubt you will reach it and you will accomplish it. Not one single doubt in my mind. We're Thank putting you. it out to the universe right now. Bring it on. Through Tomorrow. this conversation. Tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> as soon as humanly possible. I'm ready. Possible. Now. <laughs> Karen, what lights you up or excites you the most about the work that you do? That. It's about coming up with ideas, which I should stop, but coming up with ideas and making them happen. It makes me smile that I can do that. But to be able to find a person, or they find me, that is at the worst they've ever been in their life. They are raw. They are literally not functioning humans and try and work out how we put it back together piece by piece by piece by piece. And every single time it is completely unique. But then it might take one week, one month, one year, because we're all different. And then this light shines and they go, I've got it. I know where I'm going now. I know what I'm going to do. And you know what these people have done? They've changed marriages. They've changed workplaces. They've got rid of kids. They've moved house, changed jobs. They do some amazing things. And you don't have anything to do with that. You just give the space. That's right. So you just go, what now and what? And they just build. It's like building a human. Mm-hmm. It is the most incredible thing to watch. And then you get to the top of the mountain and they say, cancer was the best thing that ever happened to me. Wow. And I go, wow, we're there. We're done. We're finished. Wow. That was fun. <laughs> yeah. It lights me up. Love it. To be able to see the capacity of what humans can do. It's incredible, the power that we have. It's unlimited. Yeah. It really is. It is. I mean, there are people that don't have the will to live, are done, not interested. Absolutely. Just let me go. And that's great. That's their decision. Respect that. Yeah. That is okay. There's people that own it. I'm going to own my cancer. And it's going to be my title. It's going to be on my chest. And every conversation is going to be about me and my cancer. I'm not going to, and they just get in that vicious circle of ownership. You got to let it go and you got to move forward. We're energetic beings. If you sit and don't deal, you just spin and self destruct and you literally will go, you got to get out and do that. And that's what I have to do. I've got to be able to give you that permission and show you where you get off the roller coaster. 
and then give you that permission to jump. It's important work you're doing, incredibly important, game-changing, life-changing. It lights me up. Absolutely. That's exactly what it is. What do you think your unique skill set or superpower is that's helped you become successful? Oh, it's got to be endurance. Yeah. Just, yeah. Did you say dog with a bone? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There we go. That's don't, don't ever tell me you want to do something because it's going to happen. It happen. <laughs> it's going to happen. So don't ever do it. Speaking of success, how do you define that word? What does the word success mean to you? Oh, being healthy, being safe, being happy and doing whatever you want to do. No barriers, no fear. Yeah. Just do it. Just do it. Okay. Only here for worst, a short time. Literally, what's the worst thing that can happen? Yeah. Don't overthink it. Do it. What would you say is one of the most important things you've learned in your life? And what was your life like before learning it? And what was your life like after you learned it? You can't change people. <laughs> you can't. There's no way in hell. I have tried everything. <laughs> you can't. You can't change people. It tore me up at the beginning. You have diabetes, okay, you need to do this and this. You're going to get your feet amputated. Well, that's okay, I can get my feet amputated. No, you don't want your feet amputated. You want to change your diet and exercise and you want to get rid of this diabetes. No, I don't care. I'll go back to the pub, eat my nuts and and get my feet amputated. Whoa, okay, this happened (laughs) so many years. Wow. Why are you hearing me? Why are you not changing? Yeah, you can't. I've tried every single thing. (laughs) Believe me, I've tried. I've tried it. Yeah, I had a child, which was probably the most interesting gift in life, who struggled like I did with which door do you open and close. I couldn't change it. I'd let it happen. You just have to let it happen. All right. So that's what I've had to learn. So coming forward now, why is it easier? Because now I just accept. Yeah. So why is my life different and how is it different now? You tell me your problem. I listen to you. And if there isn't something that you want to do about it, then we do nothing. That's all you can do, right? You can give them the tools, the solutions, but yeah. it's up to them whether they utilize them or not. Yeah. And it's but not don't come back. issue. Yeah. <laughs> don't come back <laughs> whinging to me. Yeah. <laughs> I can't exactly. do it. Yeah. I don't have that in me. So you need to, that's when you go to another therapist, isn't it? Yeah. Okay. You go to someone else because I can't play that game. All right. So there are other people that can. Then. What is an unexpected blessing or occurrence in your life that you're grateful for? Oh, that would have to be the boys, yeah. Like I, mother, me. (laughs) Yeah, where people get pregnant, uh, I'm 26. I was a child running wild and luckily married. (laughs) It's probably the only blessing in my mother's eyes. But when I got pregnant, it was like, what are you going to do? Like, how are you going to do this? They were my friends. Like, how are you going to pull this off? Yeah. So I had to literally try and work out how, as a child inside that never grew up, was going to somehow be a role model and bring children into the world. (laughs) Yeah, that changed my life. (laughs) Mind-blowing concept. Yeah, a non-maternal woman having children. (laughs) I was thinking puppies for the rest of our life. Oh, wow. (laughs) Kids, that's a whole different Oh, Jesus, kids. Yeah, I mean, you can't go to the movies. You can't go to dinner when you want. You can't just pack up and get away. No, these things are like 24-7. (laughs) (laughs) what challenge in your life has shaped you the most karen yeah and they did they did all right because i had to relive my life which you reproduce yourself i mean that is terrifying 
Yeah. Because you've already been through it. You're not going to go through that again. You've overcome all that. I spent more time at the principal's office with my kids than I did myself. <laughs> all right. And I'm like, whoa, I'm doing this all again. And okay, guys, you're now in year 10, year 11, and now you've got to work out where you're going to go in your future. Well, no, they did what I did. They ran away. They couldn't do it. They didn't know what to do. So I'm watching it all unfold. And there's nothing you can do about it. No. It is terrifying. Sex, drugs, and rock and roll, and everything comes to you again. <laughs> and do you deal with it the way you dealt with it? I don't know whether I dealt with it well. Holy cow, I'm doing it again. And it was just like, oh, the events were incredible. But yeah, he was at one, my oldest was the most difficult, tenfold me. And I had to learn tough love, the hardest book to read and the yeah. hardest thing to implement because he couldn't. He rebelled everything. And I eventually got to the stage where I said, this is not how we can live. You can't treat your father like this and you can't yeah. treat your brother like this. And sure, I said, I want to kill you. Like, You're I'm not done. treating me like this. I, I, have it. I can't do this. Like, this is not yeah. fun. This is not even pleasurable. And to have a mum and dad that love you the way we do and give you what you need in your life to be safe, you don't deserve it. Mm-hmm. At all. Yeah. So I moved out of the house. I took this child and I moved into a rented house with no car, no money. You're not allowed to ring your dad and you're not allowed to see your brother. And you're going to sit in that house with me and we're going to live like this on $300 a week. Wow. Until you learn to respect to have a family. A year and a half later. I had every soup kitchen child in the world living in my house that had no parents and nowhere to go. My child brought home. While he rebelled all this, he walked into my office one day and he said, if you don't buy me a packet of cigarettes, I will kill myself. Wow. I went, wow, okay. Well, one, I'm not going to buy you a packet of cigarettes. And two, your life is your life to make the choices you want. But I'll love you anyway. And then I rung my husband crying and under my desk going, I think I've just killed my child. Like, you know, terrifying stuff. But you had to because I'm a parent and I know I have to make these things happen. So I, I removed life from him until he could learn to be in life. A year and a half. A year and a half. And in that time, I thought I'd go skydiving and typical me. Why do I want to go tandem skydiving? I'm going to do the two-day course and just jump solo. (laughs) (laughs) So I did. (laughs) And I crashed and busted a lot of bones and spent a year lying in bed with this child And I had to, luckily I went near my workplace and on crutches because I couldn't wait bare one of my legs for a year. So most of the time I was in that house, I was literally tied to my bed. And I'm a hyperactive triathlete tied to my bed. So the lessons I was learning while he was learning was a gift for both of us. It was the most incredible time. Wow. Yeah. And I think that's the key. One of the key things to take away is that no matter how difficult a situation is or what we're going through, as hard as it may seem at the time, there is always lessons to be learned and taken away from those situations. He became my biggest teacher. So when he rebelled and ran away, he left for six months. And I'm like, this is before I moved him out of the house. And I didn't know, has he got a needle in his arm? Is he dead? Where is he? He's 16 years old. He has nothing. He's just freeballing. And that is terrifying as a parent because you literally have let your child go. To end the story on a good note, <laughs> he's found his tribe, gone to university, and he's now a, he's a hacker. Excellent. So 
he's found his tribe and they are all on the same spectrum, all of these kids in the workplace. Yeah, cybersecurity is, I think, the place that a lot of these children that just don't feel, you know where you get the square peg and round hole? Yeah. That was me banging it. Yeah. Okay, this kid had a square peg with no hole. All right, it's a whole different set of rules when you need to go there. But now you watch this human that is just intelligent, inspiring, and powerful. Flourishing. Yeah, and I'm like, that was a ride, wasn't it? <laughs> Thank you for delivering that child to me. <laughs> There's stories for the grandkids. Could you, yeah, could you not have given me the child that went to school, did homework, and did as it's told? No, no, you not only get easy. a mother, yeah, a child that didn't think it could be a mother, a child that was the hardest child on earth to bring up. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for the gifts. Thank I know you. you're there. <laughs> Karen, what does the word empowerment mean to you? Oh, empowerment. I think it's the power to do whatever you want. Just don't be afraid. That's empowerment. Okay, we're going to jump into a little rapid fire section here. So the next grouping of questions will just be one, two, three, four word answer type thing. You ready? Yeah. How would you describe yourself in one word? Resilient. If you could teach the world one thing, what would it be? Be compassionate. What's one thing you want but cannot buy with money? Health. If you're writing your autobiography, what would the title be? Oh, everything is possible. If you could be remembered for one thing. What would that be? Don't be afraid. Beautiful. Just that try. concludes our rapid fire section. Now yeah. back to our regularly scheduled program. <laughs> what is one lesson your career has taught you that you think everybody should learn at some point in their life? Wow. This I learned while I was working in America is that not everybody wants to reach their highest goal that they could possibly do in their life. I have this thing that I believe everybody should be the best they can possibly be. I know you can do more. I know you can do better. I'll get you there. It's just, it's in me, okay? You can't just do that. No, you've got to become that. Come on. And I got taught that not everyone wants that. They just want to be that. And they're really happy being just that. And you need to understand that. Again, it goes back to your learning or your teaching of you cannot change people. No, no. I drove people crazy. My boss would say, back off. I mean, having a boss was hilarious, but back off. These people can't reach your expectations. It's not in them. them. They don't want it. Wow, really? Is that all you're going to be for the rest of your life? You just want to do that? (laughs) It's upsetting, really, when you think about it. Certain people you see, there was a guy when I was working in corporate and he worked in the mailroom at the place. And nothing wrong with that. That's fine. He was a young guy. He was in his 20s. Mm. He's like... Don't you want to do more? Don't you want more for you? No, I'm happy just doing this, living at my parents' place. And okay, but you could do so much more. You just want to say, wait, you want to take them and shake them and say, wake up. Come on. There's a whole world out there. Yeah. What are you doing? You can't change people though, like you said, right? If that's their path and they're happy, okay, so be it. Yeah, I I like this. (laughs) Shake it. Okay. Yeah. You just got to be okay with it and accept it. Yeah. As hard as it may be. (laughs) (laughs) It's coming with age. I'm getting better at it. There you go. It's like a good wine. Perfect, right? (laughs) There you go. What is something you've learned about yourself in the last year? I've learned so much. Something surprising. To be quiet. So I'd run around the farm looking up, trying to find cows. And my son taught me this. My youngest son taught me this. So I drove my little buggy. We got into the cow patch and he turned off the buggy 
and we just sat there. I said, what are we doing? He said, we're just going to sit, mum. <laughs> we're sitting in a cow. What are we doing? He said, just watch them. He said, listen to them. Listen to the way they eat. <laughs> and then when they take 10 steps and they poo, and then they just move along like a lawnmower, you poo. And he said, I want five minutes, just sit here and say nothing. Okay. It's hard to be still, isn't the it? The hardest <laughs> five minutes of my life, <laughs> watching cows eat and poo, but it was precious. That's something that we all could take a page from and learn that we need to learn to be still mm. and just enjoy the stillness, be in the present moment. Mm. We don't do that because we're so busy checking off all the to-dos and all the things and mm -hmm. hustling and doing all this and that. No, be present. Just take that time and do it. You need it. Yeah, and it's not my personality. If you told me I was going to do no. that six years ago. <laughs> no, no. but even the family. Okay, I put an eye patch on yesterday because mm -hmm. I thought, oh, that'd be cool. I see people do that. And lie down for 10 minutes. Got my timer. My timer's going 10 minutes to lie down. Now the dog. The dog's got the ball, lick it, lick, jump, jump, jump. What are you doing? What do you mean you're lying down? <laughs> I've never seen this happen before. So it affects the whole family. It's interesting, sure. isn't it? It is, definitely. Yeah, I've, I've learned. It, it, I hope it, I can pull it off a bit longer. It takes practice, for sure. Yeah. But you can do it, I believe in you. <laughs> <laughs> what aspect of your personality do you think has been the most helpful in your career? Oh, just be open to everything. Plain and simple. Love it. Yeah. If you had the opportunity to sit down and have a one-hour conversation with one woman, any woman in the world, who would it be and why? Yeah. I thought long and hard about this because I was really struggling with that because I listen to so many podcasts. I listen to so many people. I read autobiographies and you didn't say male, so it wasn't going to be Dave Grohl. So <laughs> I'm like, and then I had this like thought process of when I was going to go to university, my dad said, you could fail. Why would you want to do that? Like, oh, that's big. All right. Fair enough, dad. And then we sort of had conversations. He said, you know, your aunt Phoebe, so his aunt, my great aunt Phoebe mm -hmm. was a doctor. I'm like, no, never had that conversation with you. Tell me more. Okay. So this woman, so go back. I mean, she was born in 1879. All right. She went to a university in Adelaide, a little Southern Australia. And got a medical degree. I mean, how hard would that have been for a female back then? So, oh, one, God. I want to ask those questions. She was a feminist. Didn't know we had feminists till we got to the 60s and burn our bra, put flowers in our <laughs> yes. hair and had free love and took hallucinative drugs. No, she was doing this back then. She then went, well, I'm going to go to World War I and I'm going to be a doctor. And Australia went, well, that's not happening on our shift. So she moved to England. I mean, imagine a girl. Moving to England to go, I want to go to war, and joined the British Army. But she was allowed to have a title that she was actually in there because she was a female. So you were just allowed in, but we're not going to talk about it. So she got a medal, but it was allowed to be published because she, was she wasn't woman. meant to be there. I want those conversations. She got into France and she was in a bunker with 40 other women that got hit on. Five died and nine got injured. And she lived through this experience. Wow. She came back into Australia after the war and started her medical practice. And she lived into her late 80s, never married. 
big question. So many questions there, lady. I'm sure. I, I want to know this whole story. So Lots yeah, to unpack there. <laughs> yeah, but you know the funny thing is, when you ask your family, no one's got these answers. No one had these conversations with her. That is incredible strength, courage, resilience, yeah. and a trailblazer. It is. So I googled her. Because I needed to know more, clearly. That's where I got this information from. And it said she's blunt, confident, and dominating. And I went, oh, <laughs> oh I wonder where my genes came from. I knew I never really fit in with my parents. <laughs> I knew they were always different to me. I thought I was adopted, but no, I'm not. This is where I've genetically come from because I would have done that. I feel like I'm at my place now. She made me feel like, all right. You've wandered around too, not sure where you fit in life, haven't you? And just yeah. done what you needed to do to make it make the most fun you can. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I would like to. So I'm hoping we'll put it out there again. Grab a chair at the bar and when yeah. I come up, let's have a chat. Let's chat. <laughs> and we'll invite Dave Grohl. <laughs> and it'll be longer than an hour. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Inspirational women. Oh, Incredible. If you could go back and give your younger self one piece of advice, what would that piece of advice be? Oh, wow. So we could do so many things there. <laughs> you just be patient. I know you're going to keep opening those doors, girl, and I know it's going to come, but you will find your passion. But you've got to be open to that. When you find your passion, don't be afraid. Just go there. It's going to be okay. All the shit you went through, <laughs> it's for a reason. It's building you to where you're going to go and your life right. is going to be pretty cool. Right. Yeah, I, I have a very blessed life, very blessed. And I never could have imagined that when That's I was running part. around in the <laughs> – like a crazy woman trying to Opening work out where doors. I need to fit. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> where am I going to end up? What is this child going to end up as? And you don't. No one's got that. I mean, it'd be nice. Sure. And people go to clairvoyance to find it out. I don't know what a clairvoyant would do with me. But you've got that. Where does that end up? And that is yeah. the cool thing of life, isn't it? It is, definitely. Yeah. It's a beautiful process. Lastly, Karen, if you were to deliver your last 30-second speech to the world, your tribe, your corner of the world, your people, what would that last 30 seconds sound like? What words of wisdom would you impart? Oh, just fill it up. You're born, you die, which we said earlier. <laughs> a lot of shit. Just fill it up with every single thing you can possibly want to do. Have no regrets. Do not own fear and find your passion. Don't be afraid and go with it because life is really fun when you're doing something you truly want to do. Amen to that. Karen, thank you so much. This has been an absolutely incredible, <laughs> inspirational, <laughs> hilarious conversation. I appreciate you and thank you so much for taking and making the time to be here with me today and sharing a little bit about your journey, your story, and the beautiful work you're doing with all of the cancer work and all of it is just incredible and inspirational. So thank you for being here with me today. I appreciate you. Oh, I appreciate you. Well, I've had fun. It's like living my life all over again. <laughs> thank you. And thank you for everything you're doing because I truly believe like you, someone out there 
we'll learn something from our conversations. Absolutely. And that's what it's about. So mm. thank you. It's been my pleasure and my honor. I appreciate you. Once again, my name is Brad Walsh, host of your Empowerography podcast. Today, my guest has been Karen Anderson. She is the founding director of Foundation 96, an accredited exercise physiologist and a cancer exercise specialist. Thank you so much, Karen. I hope you have an amazing rest of the day. Say it, Brad. Thank you. Thank you very much for listening to this podcast. If you haven't yet, please be sure to subscribe, rate, review, and share with all your friends. You can find me at visuphoria.ca, follow me on Instagram at Empowerography Podcast, and on Facebook at Empowerography. Please join me next time for another inspirational story from yet another amazing woman.